When we talk about the blessing of Jesus, what does it mean when something is a blessing? We're talking about something we benefit from, something that brings us uh, profit, if you will, or joy or happiness, or we're better as a result. And so your blessings are not in your bank account or your full cupboard or anything like that. The greatest blessings in life are spiritual blessings. And the greatest things in life are not things. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again the Bible way? Do you know Him because He is the blesser? You know, Christ has come to bless us. Do you recognize the blessing of Jesus? I pray you do. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and the third chapter where we've been in a series now for some weeks studying the book of Acts. And uh, we saw in this particular chapter two apostles that go into the temple in Jerusalem to pray. And while there, God works a miracle through them. And without going into it, uh, it's an opportunity for Peter to stand and preach the gospel to thousands of people. And the outcome is going to be absolutely amazing. We're going to pick it up in uh, verse number 19, where we left off last time. Acts 3, verse 19. Peter says, Repent you therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets." And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning every, uh, away every one of you from his iniquities. Notice again verse number 26. He says, Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus Christ, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. We're going to be talking today about the blessing of Jesus, the blessing of Jesus. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for your word in this passage. Help us now to listen carefully and to glean something from it that will help us. We pray and ask it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. Many years ago, there was a young mother who brought her young son, about five years of age, to the grocery store, the candy store, and the grocer there offered the boy all the candy he could grab out of that candy jar. He held it out. He said, go ahead, sonny, grab as much candy as you want. The boy just kind of held back, put his hands behind his back, and he wouldn't take any candy, and finally the grocer reached in, and he took his hand and a bunch of candy, and he gave it to the boy. 
The boy thanked the grocer, and afterwards, outside, the mother asked the young lad, why didn't you do what the, the, the grocer asked you to do? Why didn't you just reach in and take some candy? And he looked at his mommy, and he said, you know, Mom, he has a much bigger hand than I have. He was thinking ahead. As we talk about blessings, God has a bigger hand than any one of us. And we're going to be talking today about the blessings of Jesus. You know, I want you to go back in your mind's eye to about 4,000 years ago, to a man by the name of Abraham, who lived in an area what is today Iraq, but at that time were the Chaldees, and God had called him out of that land and told him to go and start a new nation. God had intended with Abraham to start a nation that is with us yet to this day, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. And God told Abraham something very special that day. In Genesis 12:3, he said, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. What in the world did he mean by that? How is God going to bless every family, every person worldwide through the lineage of Abraham? Well, we could talk about the Jewish race that we have yet with us today, but I think specifically he was referring here to the greatest Jew of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ, and saying that through Jesus Christ, everybody's going to be infected. Everybody's going to be impacted. Everybody is going to be blessed. When we talk about the blessing of Jesus, what does it mean when something is a blessing? We're talking about something we benefit from, something that brings us uh, profit, if you will, or joy or happiness, or we're better as a result. Well, the whole world's been blessed by Jesus Christ, and some especially have been blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 3, this scenario all starts with a lame man who's by the beautiful gate who had, who had sat there for 40 years. And every day people drop a few coins into his cup, but basically just, you know, be warmed and filled and gone on their way. But on this fateful day, there in Solomon's porch, two apostles walk by and he says, you got anything for me? And they look at him and they, they say, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And they reach down and they grab him and he stands and his ankle bones receive strength. And he walks into the temple leaping and praising God. And a crowd draws. And Peter goes, here's a chance. Peter begins to preach to this crowd the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he gives him the plan of salvation, and it comes down to a famous verse, verse 19, where he says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. And that brings us to our text here. As we take a look at the blessings of Jesus, we see in this passage what I call, first of all, the unseen Savior. Peter says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted. And then in verse 20, he says, And he, God, shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. He mentions to them this unseen Savior who's back up in heaven. Now, we mention here in verse number 20 that he will send Jesus Christ. And we could be talking about the second coming of Christ, no question about that. He came the first time to suffer for our sins. He's coming the second time to rule and reign in his sovereignty. So it could be a reference to the second coming of Christ. He'll send Jesus. But I think it's more of a reference to 
the fact that he will send Christ in salvation. He will send Christ into your heart. Notice again in verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Peter is trying to tell this crowd that Christ is alive and well and that he has arisen. They did not kill him a matter of weeks before. He was not still in that tomb. He did not remain dead. As the songwriter said, we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And he's, he's working in our midst. And Peter was driving home the point that Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive. There was a German philosopher years ago by the name of Nietzsche. And Nietzsche went all over Europe proclaiming that God is dead. And there were his little groupies who picked up on it. And they began uh, scrawling on walls all over Europe. God is dead. Sign Nietzsche. God is dead, signed Nietzsche. The day came when Nietzsche finally died and he was buried in this little cemetery. And there in the wall, somebody described these words, Nietzsche is dead, signed God. Now how true that is. There are those who say that God is dead and that is odd because I just talked to him this morning and some of you did as well. He is alive and well. The Lord Jesus Christ was alive and in heaven. And we read these words of Christ in Revelation 1.18. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Jesus Christ is alive. Now, we find that Peter goes on in verse number 21. Speaking of Christ, he says, Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. We see here the unseen Savior. The heavens have received Him. He is out of our sight right now, but He is still around. You know, there's a lot of skepticism about God and comments made about God that if, if He really wants us to believe in Him, why doesn't He just show Himself? You ever heard that? Why doesn't He just show Himself? Folks, the invisibility of, of, of Christ and of God is all part of the plan because the just shall live by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. In fact, the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we're told in Romans 10, 17 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And this is all we're going to get this side of heaven is the Word of God. And the fact is, even if God did show Himself, even if God did use at this time in history signs and wonders, you know, it would be a matter of time before depraved mankind would get casual with that. It really happened to the Jews there in Egypt. Here we find ten plagues put upon the land of Egypt, one miracle after another, and they still get out there in the desert, and they're whining and they're complaining as if that there was no God or God was dead. And so God could show himself, and God could do all these miracles, but we'd get complacent, as a matter of fact, and, and to the place where God is, is no big deal anymore. But the truth be known, there is a God, and Jesus Christ is alive, and the evidence is irrefutable that Jesus Christ once walked the earth 2,000 years ago. More evidence that Jesus Christ lived 2,000 years ago than there is that Thomas Jefferson lived 200 years ago. But in verse number 21, Peter mentions whom of Christ the heaven must receive until the time of restitution of all things. He's back in heaven now. Uh, he's coming back again, but for the moment, he's invisible to us. We don't see him. We believe him by faith. There was a high school girl years ago, Christian girl, 
loved the Lord, but she was living in uh, the midst of an ungodly environment. Her family wasn't saved. Her friends weren't saved. Her schoolmates weren't saved, but she loved the Lord. She had this locket around her, her neck on a chain, and, and everybody teased her. Whose picture is inside the locket? Who's the love of your life? And she had never shown anyone the picture inside the locket. One day there was a friend staying over her house and uh, she was out of the room and the friend saw the locket on the dresser and decided, I've just got to see who her boyfriend is. I've got to see who the love of her life is inside the locket. And her friend opened up the locket and all that she found on the inside was this Bible verse from 1 Peter 1.8. Speaking of Christ, it said, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the love of her life was the one she could not see, but she loved him with all her heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find that Christ at this time cannot be seen. He's gone on to the heavens, and though sinners rejected him, the heavens received him until a certain time. We're told in verse 21, It says, of Christ whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. In the Greek, that means to restore to its former state. The times of restitution is talking about putting something back the way it was and restoring it to its former state. And it's really talking about Jesus Christ remaining in heaven until, well, all prophets and all prophecies have been fulfilled including the repentance of Israel. The time of restitution here is really speaking of the time when there will be a national repentance on the part of Israel. That will not take place, according to the Bible, until the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a time of chaos, seven years, a bloodbath, really, that is coming upon this earth. It's yet in the future out yonder someplace there. It, It begins with a rapture. It could start today, for all we know, But it will be such a pummeling of God's judgment upon this earth that it will not only bring the unsaved to its knees, but the nation of Israel to her knees. The times of restitution will finally break the nation of Israel and they will repent and they will acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Uh, and, and, And if it had only happened at that time, I think Peter's saying in so many words, uh, we, could, we could get on with it here. Nero could be the Antichrist. We could end this thing. But Israel did not repent there in the first century. They have still not repented at this time. They are still guilty of unbelief. And they're still awaiting their Messiah, their Savior. But we know He's come. And we know He's ascended back up to heaven. And for now, He is the unseen Savior. Peter mentions him here, but secondly, he mentions him as the unique seer, the special prophet, uh, the prophet of prophets, if you will, one of a kind. In verse 22, Peter goes on. He says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. We find Peter talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, a special prophet, and making reference back to the Old Testament and a, a special prophet to the Jewish people by the name of Moses. 
Moses is, is a hero to the Jews yet to this day. Moses is mentioned over 750 times in the Bible. He died up on Mount Nebo. I've been to the very place. You can stand there today and you can overlook as far as you can see to the, the west. You can see Jericho easily here on a clear day. You can even see Jerusalem way off in the, uh, the distance. And Moses went up to the top of Mount Nebo where he died and was buried. And nobody knows to this day uh, where he was buried. But Moses makes this uh, cameo appearance during the time of Christ on the Mount of the Transfiguration and talks with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who gave us the law. He's the one who gave us the Ten Commandments. He was, he was special to the Jewish people. But Peter's point is this. There's somebody who eclipses, whose zenith is, uh, if you will, Moses. A special prophet. And in Deuteronomy uh, 18, we find what, what Peter is talking about, why he brings Moses into the picture, and what it is that Moses had said about 1,500 years earlier. In Deuteronomy 18:15, he said, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, prophet, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. He's going to be a Jew like you. He says, Like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And so we find out that Moses introduces us here to this special prophet. And a few verses later, God himself comments. God says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which I shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. And Peter now is making reference of of that here in Acts chapter 3. That God's going to raise up a special prophet. And if you don't listen to him, the consequences are going to be very serious. Well, the buzz throughout the Jews through all these years was that this must be speaking of the Messiah. And the Jewish leaders equated this special prophet with the Messiah. Fast forward, if you will, 1,500 years to the time of John the Baptist. The religious leaders approach him in John 1.21, and they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? He answered, No. Are you that prophet? See, all along they were, they were looking for this special prophet. Who will this prophet be? John, is it you? And he said, nope, it's not me. And John wasn't that prophet. He was the forerunner of that prophet. He was the one sent to introduce that prophet. But that prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 6 and verse 14, the Bible says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. This is that prophet. This is him. And the bus started, and as he continued to do miracles, everybody's saying, that's the prophet Moses was talking about. In John 7, 40, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet, the prophet. And Jesus Christ was that prophet, a unique seer. And for three and a half years, he crisscrossed Palestine, opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and raising dead people and doing all kinds of things as that prophet, as God's full revelation of himself. But the Jews rejected him. Here he was, that prophet. But they rejected him. Bible says in John 1.11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. 
And Jesus Christ said this in Matthew 13, 15. He said, for this people's heart, the Jewish nation, this people's heart is wax gross. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Oh, if they would just repent and receive me. And Peter here back in Acts chapter 3 reminds this group of Jews in verse 23. He says, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. We find that Peter here makes reference to the destruction of those who reject this prophet and the fact that he was a special prophet, not like any other prophet. You know, there are millions of people today that follow a man by the name of Buddha but he was not that prophet. And there are millions more that follow today a man by the name of Muhammad, but he was not that prophet. Confucius was not that prophet. Joseph Smith was not that prophet. But God Almighty here points out there will be a unique seer, a special prophet. There are a lot of wannabes, but this is the Son of God. Hear that prophet. Whatever he has to say, listen to what he has to say. Well, what did he have to say? In John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is what he said. I am the only way to God. I'm not a good way or a better way or the best way even, but the way, and no man cometh unto the Father, he says, but by me. He is a unique prophet, a unique seer, if you will. I want you to notice in verse 23, Peter said, And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now he's talking to a group of Jewish people that weeks earlier had murdered their Messiah. And he's pointing out to them the seriousness of that. You, you killed your Messiah. And they're thinking of the prophecy of Moses going, we're doomed. We killed our Messiah. You know, Peter's audience really had carried on a, a strong tradition. The Jews had for years been murdering their prophets that God had, had sent to them. And finally, when Jesus shows up outside of the temple there in Matthew 23, there's this lamentation He says in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. For centuries they had been killing the prophets God had sent to them that were foretelling of the Messiah's coming, and now the Messiah himself was here. What would they do with him? You know, Ironically, the the Jewish people were were tenacious about sticking with the Bible and what it had to say. What do the Scriptures say? Well, the Scriptures are full of prophecies about the Lord Jesus Christ, over 330 of them. In fact, in John 5.39, Jesus said to them, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, Christ says. Search the Scriptures. They testify of me hundreds of times over. They point like a Geiger counter to me as being the Messiah. How could you miss it? Well, in verse 24, Peter goes on. He says, 
Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these things. He mentions Samuel here. The last of the judges, and really the, the beginning of a barrage of prophets that would follow, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and so many others. He, he, he makes reference now to Samuel, and there's no question that Samuel was a prophet. In fact, we read in 1 Samuel 3.20 that all Israel, from Dan up north even to Beersheba down south, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. Samuel was the one who anointed King David, the one through whose loins and lineage the Messiah came, and, and, and the Jews knew that would all unfold there, and, and yet the Jewish people missed it, and Peter is spelling it out for them. Jesus of Nazareth came, and you crucified him, and he was not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he was the prophet of prophets a unique seer. We see the unseen Savior and the unique seer, and finally we see in this message by Peter this universal son, this universal son. In verse 25, he says to this group of Jews, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, here's what God said, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. We read that a moment ago in Genesis 12. Peter goes on, unto you first, these Jews, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Notice Peter mentions a repenting of iniquities there. He didn't pull any punches. The word iniquities means wickedness. Peter is calling them out here to repent of their wickedness. But he mentions here this universal Son, the Son of God, in verse number 26. You know, the gospel is made available to everybody, but it started with the Jewish people. It rippled out from there, and I'm glad it did, because us Gentiles, for the most part, have benefited uh, from it as a result. But he says, first of all, in verse 25, ye are the children of the prophets. What's his point? You know what he's, he's saying? Of all people. Of all people. You are the children of the prophets. Of all people to reject Christ. It's you guys. The ones who have the Bible. God's chosen. The covenant was given to you. Of all people. You know, after Christ rose from the dead, he chided a, a couple of Jewish men for not catching it. In Luke 24, 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, <clears throat> to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because the Old Testament is saturated with verses about the coming Messiah. And these Jewish people missed it. And Peter says to on that day, ye are the children of the prophets. And of all people, how could you have missed it? Of all people, you, you know, you, you would say of maybe MacArthur's son or, or Patton's son or, or Reagan's son, of all people, how could you become a communist? You know, something like that would be a comparison. Of all people, you ought to know better. Peter is chiding the Jews here. And he's saying, you're the children 
of the prophets. That not only increased their sin they committed, but the responsibility of what they had done in crucifying Jesus Christ. And they had no excuse for murdering their Messiah. You're the children of the prophets, of all people. Can you imagine that? Israel's problem was not an intellectual one. And Israel's problem was not an informational one. They had the scriptures. Israel's problem was a repentance problem, a heart issue. And they just would not repent. He says, ye. Notice those, that, those two, two letters in that one word, ye, are the children of the prophet. There's no other nation like ye. Ye have been given an opportunity. No other nation has been given. And he says, ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. And then he, adds, he mentions Abraham. He, he says, saying unto Abraham, he, he brings Abraham now into the picture because Abraham's as big a hero to the Jews as Moses was. Abraham was that first founding Jew, if you will, that, that, that brightest star in the Hebrew heaven. Abraham, and he brings him into the picture, and he says, ye are the children of the prophets and the children of Abraham and of all people. You missed it. You missed it. So he leaves them devastated, kind of, oh, what do we do? And then Peter gives him hope. He closes with a note of hope. He says, you're the sons of the prophets and the sons of the covenant, and you murdered your Messiah, but in spite of that, there's a God of mercy, and he's willing to yet save you. Paul re-echoes that years later in Romans 9, 4. says of the Jews who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. The Jews had all this going for them. And Peter's saying there is yet time to be saved. There is yet hope. There is yet time to repent. You know, to me, the wonder of God is that he gave these folks another opportunity yet to repent. Because some of them were there. Some of them did say, crucify him. Some of them had the blood of the Messiah still on their hands, if you will. And God could have wiped them out. In fact, we sing about him calling 10,000 angels. Actually, the Bible mentions he could have called 12 legions of angels. A Roman legion had about 5,000 soldiers in it. We're talking about 60,000 angels. It only took one to wipe out an Assyrian army overnight. And God in his mercy did not wipe out those who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Here weeks later, they're given another opportunity. And Peter gives them hope. We have hope. And by the way, of all people, if you live in this country and you believe the Bible and you've heard of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're of all people most blessed. And of all people, you should have done something with the gospel by this point. I trust I'm speaking mostly to those who have been born again, but no doubt there are some who have never been saved. And of all people, you have such an opportunity to say yes to the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. And in repentance and faith, put your trust in that shed blood of Christ on the cross to save you from your sins, to atone for you. Anyone can be saved because Jesus Christ is the universal Son and I love this verse in Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. He is the universal Son. And in verse number 25, we find this expression, all kindreds. All kindreds, all nations, all tribes, all cultures, all people can benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. We're all benefactors from it. Have you been saved? You know, God might have you listening right now for a reason. God makes no mistakes. There's no accidents with God. You know, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter and where this all started, it, it began with a disabled beggar by the beautiful gate. Remember that? And there he was, day after day, everybody knew him. He, he sat by the beautiful gate, and every morning they brought him there, and he had his tin cup, and he waited for a few pennies that he might eat that night. And you know, I thought of this recently. He'd been there for 40 years. Jesus Christ had gone into that temple many times. No doubt past the beautiful gate. But he never healed him, did he? Christ healed hundreds, yea, thousands during his three-and-a-half-year ministry. But this guy was still lame. You say, well, why is that? Jesus never healed him. Well, God is sovereign. God had an appointed time for this man. God had this all planned here. God knew that John and Peter would go into that temple that day, walk by that beautiful gate. He'd impress upon their heart what he had planned to do. This man would receive his strength. He'd jump to his feet. He'd leap and he'd praise and he'd start this chain reaction where 5,000 people are going to get saved before this thing's over with. God knew what he was doing here. You know, I find in the Bible this wonderful uh, balance between the world's afflictions and God's sovereignty and, and God's design. And your impossibility is really God's opportunity. Maybe you sit here today with something in your life and you say, this is impossible. And God says, you're right. But with God, nothing is impossible, the Bible says. This beggar needed the touch of God. Maybe you sit here today and you need the touch of God. You need God to do something in, in your life. And sometimes afflictions are for a divine purpose. God is up to something here. There's a sovereign design. There's another application I find here, and that is that salvation is available to all. The beggar, no doubt, got saved. And God did a bigger miracle than, than even healing him physically. He healed him spiritually and he was born again because salvation is available to all. We read this in Romans 1.16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Notice, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In verse 25 again, Peter says, You are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. There's not a corner in the world where there's not somebody who can benefit from what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross that day 2,000 years ago. Now there's another and a final application to what I read here, and it's this. Jesus Christ is life's greatest blessing. And that's what Peter says in verse 26. Unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquity. Jesus Christ is life's greatest blessing. It's not the money in your bank account right now. It's not the car out in the parking lot. It's not the house you'll drive home to. It's not these cupboards that are full of groceries. It's Christ. Do you know him today? 
We uh, had a dear lady in the church stand in this pulpit last Sunday morning and give her testimony. I saw people wiping tears out there. And she was talking about what's God, what God has done in her life. You know, truth be known, God found every one of us on the slave block of sin at one time if we'd been born again. And he reached down into the mire and he saved us. And I'll never understand that. But if you've been born again, you're a benefactor and one who has been blessed of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 7, 7 says, and without all contradiction, no question, the less is blessed of the better. And so your blessings are not in your bank account or your full cupboard or anything like that. The greatest blessings in life are spiritual blessings, spiritual blessings. And the greatest things in life are not things. Have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again the Bible way? Do you know Him because He is the blesser? Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Have you been blessed through the salvation of Christ and the forgiveness of Christ? Do you find in the Lord Jesus Christ a Savior and a guide and someone who's leading you through life now? You have this relationship with Him and, and this fellowship with Him. And you know He is one who really does care about you. And you can talk to Him in prayer. And He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And He has a, a fantastic future in mind for you as one who has been saved. Again, verse 26 says, Unto you first God having raised up His Son Jesus, sent Him to bless you and turning away every one of you from His iniquities. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you have, you sit here today and He's the greatest benefactor of your life. You know, I'll never forget a story I heard from a missionary who told of this woman in this particular backwards third world country, poverty-stricken country, who had absolutely nothing this missionary was calling on her one day and he got up to the house and, and he heard this squeaky little voice inside saying over and over again, all this in Jesus too. All this in Jesus too. All this in Jesus too. His curiosity got the best of him. He kind of peeked through the, the window of the door and he saw this woman, her back to the door, sitting on this log over this ex sorry excuse of a table with a crust of bread in front of her thanking God for it and saying all this and Jesus too. You know, Christ has come to bless us. Do you recognize the blessing of Jesus? I pray you do. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.